Hey, Lexi, you ready to party like it's 1999? Oh, wait, wrong prince. <laughs> well, let's get back into our deep dive of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Yes. And let's get the conversation started. Hello and welcome to Lexicon. It is Maddie. Lexi. Dylan. Casey. Caddy. <laughs> Caddy? I said Teddy. Oh, I thought we were doing Undertale characters. <laughs> That's not Caddy's voice. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince is clearly the seminal tome in the series. I prefer Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Sand, you idiot! Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is clearly the best. <clears throat> All right, seriously, we're picking back up where we left off. Uh, no preamble needed here. Uh, check out the last episode if you want to see what led up to this. Of course, this is our second deep dive in this book, so the uh, major issues we may or may not have with it have probably already been covered in our first series of deep dives into this book. Well, also, feel free to check those out, or if you're you know, not into Harry Potter now, skip this episode and come back next time. When we'll probably not be talking about Potter, because Deathly Hell isn't scheduled until July. Alright, so we're going to begin where we left off, as I say, in chapter 15, The Unbreakable Vow, on page 315. Whether it had been built that way, or because he had used magical trickery to make it, Slughorn's office was much larger than the usual teacher's study. The ceiling and walls had been draped with emerald crimson and gold hangings so that it looked as though they were all inside a vast tent. Now, this is when Harry is attending the uh, Christmas party for the Slug Club Yes. at the end of term, and uh, he's seeing Slughorn's office, and now... This is technically the narrator, uh, the de facto narrator speaking. It's not necessarily Harry's yeah. point of view, but most of the books are written from Harry's point of view. So I assume it's Harry seeing the office and like, wow, he used magical trickery. This is a really big office. <laughs> but I'm just wondering, did Slughorn not take over the traditional uh, defense against the dark, dark arts teacher's office, the one that Lupin and the fake Mad-Eye Moody and Lockhart and presumably uh, Quirrell all used and that Umbridge will use, or did use because uh... she's before this as well? Probably not. And I mean, Harry's was definitely in the office of Lupin and Lockhart and the fake Moody and Umbridge. Yeah. So he's seen what the office is like. So if it's the same office, and I say defense against the Dark Arts, of course, because Snape took over defense against the Dark Arts in year six, but we find out later in this book, he kept his office down in the dungeons. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe uh, Slughorn had an office just that was his office before and it was waiting for him. There's a bunch of empty rooms. It could be that office, but some magic stuff. Oh, yeah, it could definitely be magic stuff, but I'm just saying, if, if it was the same office, Harry would yeah. be like, wow, he's used magical trickery to expand this place. Yeah. Now, that's all I'm saying. The question there is whether it was this or that seems odd, at least from Harry's perspective. Yeah. Again, unless it's a different office, if it is a different office, what happened to the old Dada office? Uh, abandoned for now. Snape just like half the Snape just gets two offices. <laughs> yes. I will take over defensing as the gods, Dumbledore. Finally, but I need two offices. Well, <clears throat> I need one for my study and one for party time. <laughs> Ain't no party Slug like a party sl- in defense against the dark arts room. Ain't no party like a Severus Snape party. Hello. Only Slytherin party. When I grab the mic, I rock it right. Oh, Did I like a stick on the front? No Gryffindors allowed. Unless they're hot. Oh, wait, that'd be a tea. Never mind, that was inappropriate. I apologize. I apologize. Like, like, like Gryffindor <laughs> alumnus. He's bringing back old, old, not old people, but it's a party full of old people. Snake parties with the old people. <laughs> Nobody knows how to get down like a geriatric. <clears throat> okay, on that note, I think we'll move on. Uh, we're going to skip ahead to pages. 329 and 330. This is chapter 16, A Very Frosty Christmas. This is once Harry and Ron are uh, at the borough spending their Christmas holidays there. Five. And uh, 
I'm going to read the last paragraph on this page, continue on the next one. Harry did not get the chance to speak to Mr. Weasley, who was working very long hours at the ministry, until Christmas Eve night. The Weasleys and their guests were sitting in the living room, which Ginny had decorated so lavishly that it was rather like sitting in a paper chain explosion. Fred, George, Harry, and Ron were the only ones who knew that the angel on top of the tree was actually a garden gnome that had bitten Fred on the ankle as he pulled up carrots for Christmas dinner. Stupefied, painted gold, stuffed into a miniature tutu with small wing glued to its back, it glowered down at them all, the ugliest angel Harry had ever seen scene, with a large bald head like a potato and rather hairy feet. Now, not only is this incredibly cruel and likely to lead yeah. to the gnome's death, yeah. but I find it hard to believe that no one else noticed. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's Molly and Arthur's house. They're like, oh, we got a new Christmas decoration this year. <laughs> it doesn't look anything like the gnomes in the garden. Cool. I mean, seriously. They, they're just not paying that much cool. attention at that point. Like, like why? Why would they do that? I, I mean, I, I guess maybe the spell they put on kept them in a state of suspended animation or something so they didn't need sustenance or water but I don't know and how long does stupefy really even last that's also a good question and when you're stupefied aren't your eyes usually closed because you're like knocked out basically mm-hmm. but it says it glowered down at them all yeah and, and the picture at the beginning of the chapter clearly has like the gnome's eyes open and it's does it glued them it's open arms crossed oh god they just like fussed them open this is just sounding crueler and crueler. I've always thought that was a bit cruel. I mean, I know the Weasleys are jokesters, and sometimes their pranks might go a little far, but this this seems far even for them. Yeah. Yeah. Again, maybe through magic, the gnome's going to be okay. We, I will assume that, but still, if not, damn. Yeah. Or, damn. Thank you, Ron. Cutthroat kitchen world. Kitchen, yep. Visiting world. Cutthroat kitchen world. <laughs> yep. The world of cutthroat kitchen. <laughs> Zane, Cutthroat Kitchen, you can bid on this stupefied gnome. That was a terrible Alton Brown. He's from Georgia. Why didn't I do it? Why did I do like a, a a Sonic accent? I have no idea what happened. I don't think I've seen Cutthroat Kitchen. What never. Are you, doing it? you had to. I've never seen Cutthroat Kitchen. I mean, if I say like once, but I, there's so many freaking I've definitely seen cooking it. shows. I don't know which one is which. It's the one where they would get so much money and they can bid on disadvantages to give to their opponents. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to replace all your meat products with yeah, to replace canned roast beef. So this stupefied no. Or, or you have to say, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we're going to move along to uh, chapter 17, page 349, A Sluggish Memory. And this merely marks the end of December, which lasted for 47 pages. We've been, you know, kind of charting how long the months last in the books. Yeah. So, um... More than either October or November, probably, since they combined for 65 pages. Certainly more than August, but not nearly as much as July, which ran 104 pages, and September, which ran 105. But still a good good chunk for December. Facts. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move on from there. And my next note is also related to the passing of a month, so clearly not much happened in January. Yeah. Or, or if it did, we talked about it all in the last episode. But page 381 marks the passing of December, of January, and it clocks in at 32 pages. So a little less than December, but still a respectable showing. Nice. And now, I want this on the record here. Dylan's seen this before, but I want him to see it again. I handwrite these notes when I'm reading through the book. Yes. <laughs> and then I just, you know, have a digital file of them later. But this is the actual photo of my notes. This is the note that I wrote with my left hand. I would like Dylan to read the whole thing on mic. It starts right there. Let's see. Which one? Which number? Uh, the second one right there. The second one? This one? Yes. Okay, page 385. And that's paragraphs 8 through 10. You can confirm uh, that you're going to read that, right? 
discuss splinting. There you go. Written with my left hand. Two woods. And you were all like, oh, I bet and I'm not going to build quite to read a it. wide D with a big gap in it. But you can clearly read it. I would it. like to see your left handwriting because to me, Dad's left handwriting just looks like your normal handwriting. That's yeah. just rude. It looks like a, it looks like a, a fairly young person just learning to write wrote it, but it's still very legible. It, I'm just it, saying, Gabba does not have the nice. In all honesty, let's be honest. It's probably more legible than my normal writing. You write very tiny. Yes, yes, he does. And sometimes Wait, I don't even write real go. words or letters. Write something with your left hand. Alright, left hand. Splinting. Oh, left hand? Yep, so, left yes, hand. Uh, for those that don't know what splinching is, and if you're listening to a Harry Potter podcast, how would you not? I mean, seriously. Uh, um, Splinching, or the separation of random body parts, said Wilkie Tricot. Why cross dispassionately occurs when the mind is insufficiently determined. You must concentrate continuously upon your destination and move without haste, but with deliberation. Thus, and of course, this is in reference to uh, Susan Bones, who was practicing apparating and found herself in her hoop with her leg left behind. <clears throat> so what? It, I mean, is, is there like blood dripping out of her fucking hip socket? No. Is it just like a clean cut, like a lightsaber I'm would going, do? I'm going to so it, like cauterizes that the wound. Line. Consume magic is at least that nice. I mean, we, we, we've heard of her. I mean, what if, like, half your body's left behind? Are, are you going to die from that? Are you going to survive? Splinching sounds horrible. Am I crazy? In the middle of this, Gob has been practicing his left-handed G. handwriting instead of paying attention. He wrote his G backwards, it looks like. Wait. Discuss splinchine. That's what that looks I like. I think I Yeah, I think Maddie's winning that. I'm sorry, I freaking... I'm used to wearing my right hand. So it's no... Obviously, since we're all right-handed, that's the whole point. If I was ambidextrous or left-handed, my left-handed handwriting wouldn't be remarkable. But hey, my D looks better. Wait a second. Oh, God. <laughs> Can we get back to splinching, please? Yeah. Sure. Speaking of splinching, or, or, or rather apparating, during which splinching will occur, of course, there's the three Ds. Destination, determination, and deliberation. <clears throat> Need determination. <clears throat> but seriously, how awful is that? You just leave a body part behind? Yeah, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Not I good. mean, can't still move it around. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! It's like, like, so like, how, off. like Frankie Stein's sitting on Would off. your leg like walk away? And you wouldn't be able to find it. <laughs> oh no! Or like I say, if you left like the bottom half of your torso back, like <laughs> all right, but I walk back to myself, like the dad and onward, but it would just walk away. <laughs> and it says she was sobbing after she had her leg put back on, but that could just be because she was terrified of the experience, not necessarily any pain. But I wonder if there is pain involved. It Possibly. sounds painful. It's never mentioned that it hurts or anything, just that it happens. Yeah. Splinting does not seem fun. No, of course not. It's a fun name I'm for something that's not dead. potentially fun. I mean, there's never any indication that anybody dies. But what if, like, you just left your head behind? <laughs> your body went <laughs> What's in your my head? They're like, guys, help. I don't know where my body is. And our body would have been, like, walking around. Like a head and a finger are left behind. Like, I, I can <laughs> see my pinky. And that's how no. the headless horseman was born. Yeah. <laughs> To the body on the horse wanting to try and find the head. <laughs> Alright, I guess nobody has anything uh, more pertinent to say about splinching. I don't. I, I'm not well educated on the topic. Like I say, it's only touched on briefly in the books. There's no long form studies on it. Yeah. There may be on like the Wizarding World or some other adjacent writings, but. Maybe. 
And I don't even know if it's ever mentioned in the movies, but they don't really count anyway. Lol. Oh yeah, let's move along now. Uh, page 389, chapter 18, birthday surprises. This is uh, just another note on the month. Uh, February, the shortest month, appropriately, is only eight pages in this no. book. So not much happens in February as we transition into March. And uh, the birthday in question, of course, is Ron's, whose birthday, I believe, is March 1st. Nice. Um, Bucky Bond's birthday is in March. That's cool. My aunt's birthday is in March. Nice. Which aunt? Randa. Oh. Well, I don't know. That's His other aunt's birthday is in April. Yeah. I, know. I only have two the aunts. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, I had great aunts too. Mm, yeah. I was just thinking. One of their birthdays was in April as well. Nice. And I have an uncle's birthday in April and a cousin and a yeah. daughter. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a few birthdays happening in April. All right, moving on off the topic of our birthdays and back to the topic of magical birthdays. We're staying on page 389. Um, of course, like I say, this is Ron's birthday. I believe it's March 1st. Happy birthday, Ron, said Harry when they were woken on the 1st of March by Seamus and Dean leaving noisily for breakfast. Have a present. He threw the package across onto Ron's bed where it joined a small pile of them that must, Harry assumed, have been delivered by house elves in the night. I have questions. Yeah, I'm, that's, I'm just, how does a birthday present distribution work at Hogwarts? Yeah. They've established that probably the elves bring them up to the rooms, but I mean, do parents mail them in or owl them in? Mm. Do they magic them to the school? Because I, I would assume... Do they have to make a contact? Do the elves just know what goes to whom? I mean, because in real life, you want to do, like, a birthday for your kid at school, you got to go through the, the office yeah. and set it up with the no, teachers. No, that's what I'm si- sitting here, like, do, so do they have to write into Dumbledore, works? like, look, we're sending these, these are birthday presents, have them delivered to such and such on X I feel like Dumbledore would, doesn't have time for that. He's busy hunting horcruxes and stuff. Well, I feel like they, that's, maybe that, they send it that's to down like to the house. I'm going to say, like, head Maybe that's what McGonagall does. Dumbledore's new show She's got History Channel. She's got to organize the, the present distribution. Yeah. I mean, she organizes the class distribution. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I see that would I probably be beneath assumed. her too, though. Like, it's like, is there like a head house elf? Mm. Maybe it goes to the head house elf. Oh god! I'm sorry, I want to show like that, like what on the hunter quoxes. But he like, couldn't like. Oh well, he's making like a journal for <laughs> after he's passed away and after they've defeated Voldemort. Something like that. Like, now what you're seeing, now what you're seeing will remain buried until Lord Voldemort has been defeated, and I am probably long gone. But this is my journey to hunt Horcruxes. Yep. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say with the birthday presents, I, w- I would have assumed that they just mailed them in, like via the owls, just sent them to the kid, like it arrived and it arrived. We've seen it. We've seen it multiple times. Yeah. I mean, Harry's birthday's over the summer, so his isn't relevant. Yeah. And honestly, this may be the only time we specifically see Ron's birthday at Hogwarts, but it seems to be just like Christmas where you wake up and you got a pile of presents at your bed. Yeah. Other than like Harry just gets his and then tosses it across to Ron, you know? Whoa. I guess we'll move along from birthdays. That don't one hundred make percent make sense. One hundred make percent sense. <laughs> Shut up! You've already determined that I'm not good with sentences. You're very not good at sentences. From here, we're gonna move to page three hundred and ninety-nine. This is gonna mark the start of chapter nineteen. Elf tales. Elf tales. Elf tales. Elf don't nice have tales. Illustration I'm of it's T A I L S. That would be tales. 
Oh, but, but they're t- they're because they're tailing Draco Malfoy. <laughs> nice. You know what a tail is? Like you got yes. like a spy yes. on your on your your, yes. your case. Yeah, because they're going to be. Uh, you know, every time I've read that, I was thinking it was T A L E S, like elf stories. <laughs> nice. I never even paid attention to the spelling of it. It just it just washed over me. But yeah, because yeah, sometimes we either don't pay attention to the spelling of things. Because now that creature has passed into Harry's possession, and is you know, forces yeah. think of one sentient being owning another. But I digress. Uh, he calls creature who's now working at Hogwarts to uh, follow Draco Malfoy around because he's still trying to find out what he's trying to mend, what, you know, evil schemes he's up to. And uh, at the time, Dobby happens to be fighting with Creature, so he ends up coming along with Creature when Harry calls him and Dobby volunteers to tell Malfoy as well, so therefore the elf tales. Nice. <laughs> um, but this uh, has nothing to do with that. This is after Ron has been poisoned on his birthday when he and uh, Harry went to Slughorn's office so Harry could gets Slughorn to give him an antidote to the love potion that he accidentally ingested in the uh, chocolate cauldrons that Ramil Devane had given Harry yeah. to try to trick him into going to taking her to Slughorn's party. But again, I digress. Uh, Fred and George have shown up at Hogwarts to check on Ron as he's convalescing in the hospital wing. Nice. And um, <clears throat> they say, This isn't how we imagine handing over our presents, said George grimly, putting down a large wrapped gift on Ron's bedside cabinet and sitting beside Jenny. Yeah, when we picked to the scene, he was conscious, said Fred. There we were in Hogsmeade, waiting to surprise him, said George. You in Hogsmeade? asked Jenny, looking up. We think of buying Zonko, said Fred gloomily. A Hogsmeade branch, you know. But fat lot of, lot of good it'll do us if you lot aren't allowed out on weekends to buy our stuff anymore. But never mind that now. So I wonder if they ever did open that Hogsmeade branch. I wonder that as well. Maybe. I know that after, uh, after Fred dies and Ron... Spends a couple years in R. He leaves the R office to go run the joke shop with George. Yeah. But I've never heard any mention of there being a second branch. But it's certainly mm-hmm. certainly conceivable, especially if Zonko's is closed up. Yeah. Zonko's being the joke shop in, in Hogsmeade. Yeah. Got what you've got, Google. Find out. Well, it's, at this point, not an answer. There might be. Speaking of Hogsmeade, by the way, uh, what's up with all the hog names in this area? Pig. History stuff. I assume that uh, the hog. Well, I assume that the hog's head was named by Aberforth in mockery of Hogwarts, since his uh, brother is so associated with the school, and they have a little bit of a brotherly rivalry. Yeah. But what about Hogsmeade? So we've got Hogwarts, Hogsmeade, and the Hog's Head. You see, I was gonna say either something to do with the history of the area. Well, these are the Highlands of Scotland, so are pigs big in Scotland? That I don't know. You see, when they when, say... when they're looking for a place to build the school, they saw a pig, and then they're like, yes. I was going to say. I mean, it is conceivable that like hogs mean grew up around Hogwarts, so when she had well, the yeah, one hog, so I was going to say Hogwarts is a castle, and that's like the village right down there, isn't it? Hogwarts mm-hmm. is a weird name, but it's all, but it's so. also the only all wizarding village in Britain, and and there, I don't know whether one predates the other. The village yeah. could predate the school. It could. I, I would have assumed it kind of came along because with I'm the school. I, because I'm not sure if if the 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 founders of Hogwarts. Uh, Rowena, Raven, Rowena Ravenclaw. Wow, that's tough to say out loud yeah. fast. Godric Gryffindor, Salazar Slytherin, and Helga Hufflepuff. All whose names are alliterative. Did you have to have an alliterative name to be in their club? Yes. Yep. Tommy Bones, you can't join the club. Your name is not alliterative. Law. Anyway, uh, I don't know if they actually built the castle or if they just repurposed it into a school. Yeah. It's like... Uh, 
it's said in one of the books that Hogwarts was founded over a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. And so that would put it way before the Middle Ages, which is when you would think castles were thriving. But, um... Yeah. Trying to find the history of Hogwarts. Okay. It could be that the village was, you know, the, maybe the village and the castle came up together and then the castle was turned into a school or who knows. But it was founded in 990 AD. I just said over a thousand years ago and the books take place in the 90s. I'm just saying this whole time I've been trying to draw hay and it looks like James. I don't so, know, it's not giving me hay vibes. Other than the scar. If it wasn't for the scar, I'm pretty sure this would be James. Maybe you should make his eyes green. <laughs> Unlike those blue eyes in the movies. They're not saying much about the actual founding part. Damn it. Also, you know, now that I think about it, talking about Aberforth and the pub and his somewhat rivalry with Dumbledore. Yeah. Um, I mean, they may have their differences, but it seems like the Dumbledore brothers may be closer than most wizarding relatives, seeing as how uh, Aberforth chose to run a pub and live right down the road from Albus at Hogwarts. Yeah. And, I mean, Albus may not spend his summers at Hogwarts, but he's there, you know, a good nine or ten months out of the year. He's certainly closely associated with the school. It seems like Aberforth just wanted to be close to his big bro. Cool. I mean, maybe he had nowhere else to go, but even though that's the only all-magical uh, village in Britain... Yeah. He could certainly pop up someplace else, and he, he chose to be there by Albus, so... That. You see a lot of these muggle... Uh, muggle I'm sorry, wizard <laughs> friends and relatives who they seem to rarely see each other, you know? We've talked about how the wizarding community seems to be sort of separated. Yeah. It seems like these two may be closer than, than most people in the community, even though outwardly they seem to be at a distance from each other. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for that great insight on that. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll move along now. Thank you for that throat clear. I guess I'll move along now. According to this, Hogsmeade was now. founded in 1714. Oh, yeah. So that's so the school. Yeah, way after. So it probably grew up around the school eventually. Yeah. They didn't a place to get butterbeer. Lol. Staff just needed a place to go grab drinks. All right. So we're going to move along now. Uh, still in chapter 19, Elf Tales. This time on pages 413 and 414, where we are at the second Quidditch match of the year, the one where Cormac McLagan has to play keeper in place of Ron, because Ron's still in the hospital wing. Aww. And that Smith of Hufflepuff with the quaffle, said a dreamy voice echoing over the grounds. He did the commentary last time, of course, and Ginny Weasley flew into him. I think probably on purpose. It looked like it. Smith was being quite rude about Gryffindor. I expect he regrets that now he's playing them. Oh, look, he's lost the quaffle. Ginny took it from him. I do like her. She's very nice. Harry stared down at the commentator's podium. Surely nobody in their right mind would have let Luna Lovegood commentate. But even from above, there was no mistaking that long, dirty blonde hair, nor the necklace of butterbeer corks. Beside Luna, Professor McGonagall was looking slightly uncomfortable, as though she was indeed having second thoughts about this appointment. I was just wondering uh, why Professor McGonagall was in charge of the Quidditch commentators. She's in charge of everything. Again, like I guess... Let Luna commentate. Professor McGonagall. Why? I guess being a <clears throat> deputy headmistress, you know, the second in command is just one of the things that falls to her. Yeah. But it, it made more sense when um, Lee Jordan was commentator, of course, because he's a Gryffindor. Yeah. But now we have a Ravenclaw doing it. And actually, before this, as she mentioned, we had Zachariah Smith doing it. 
I just wonder why McGonagall stays in charge of them. But again, I guess just being deputy headmistress is one of her duties. Or she just volunteered McGonagall or, or just whatever. does everything. But I mean, it, it could have been Flitwick or Sprout or anybody. Imagine Hogwarts without McGonagall, though. But why Luna? It would not one. Because she's entertaining. The same way. Facts. But anyway, we're going to move she's along. She's in charge of both the presents and, and the credit stuff. Well, we don't know about the birthday presents. Luna is in charge of Hogwarts. Yet. She was talking about McGonagall. Not Luna. Luna. Luna's not in charge of commentators. Too bad Luna's in charge of Hogwarts now. No, she's very much not. What does Luna go on to do? I don't know. Um, yeah, I know she's mentioned because there was like a big Dumbledore's Army reunion at the Quidditch World Cup, like 20 years later or so, and uh-huh. they mentioned the, the different, the, the, the main players. Um, I think that's where I found out that Neville was married to is it Hannah Abbott or Susan Bones? I want to say it's Hannah, but I think I'm not it's sure. Hannah, and she's the matron at Hogwarts now. And of course, we knew he was the herbology professor. And it mentions Luna. I don't. I think it just mentioned that she's married and maybe has a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. But it, it may go. Into, I haven't read it in a long, long time, so yeah, I apologize. One of Newt's descendants, doesn't she? Maybe. I know she doesn't end up with Neville like the movies insinuate, because I just told you who Neville ends up with. But. Yeah. Oh god, that's another thing I hate about that movie. I'm gonna go tell Luna I love her. It's no one ever. Somebody throw him off the castle, please. <laughs> he doesn't deserve the sword in the movies. He's so much cooler in the books. Anyway, I'm gonna move along just a little bit in this chapter, in this game, to page 416. And let's see. Of course, I told y'all that McClagan is playing Keeper now. And uh, Luna says on commentary... Is it already? said Luna vaguely. Oh, look, the Gryffindor Keeper's got hold of one of the beater's bats. Harry spun around in midair. Sure enough, McClagan, for reasons best known to himself, had pulled Peeks's bat from him and appeared to be demonstrating how to hit a bludger toward an oncoming codwallotter. Will you give him back his bat and get back to the goalposts? roared Harry, pelting toward McClagan, just as McClagan took a ferocious swipe at the bludger and mishit it. A blinding, sickening pain, a flash of light, distant screams, and the sensation of falling down a long tunnel. And the next thing Harry knew, he was lying in a remarkably warm and comfortable bed and looking up at a lamp that was throwing a circle of golden light onto a shadowy ceiling. He raised his head awkwardly. There on his left was a familiar-looking, freckly, red-haired person. Nice of you to drop in, said Ron, grinning. Harry blinked and looked around. Of course, he was in the hospital wing. The sky outside was indigo streaked with crimson. The match must have finished hours ago, as had any hope of cornering Malfoy. Harry's head felt strangely heavy. He raised a hand and felt a stiff turban of bandages. What happened? Cracked skull, said Madame Pomfrey, bustling up and pushing him back against the pillows. Nothing to worry about. I mended it at once, but I'm keeping you in overnight. You shouldn't overextend, overexert yourself for a few hours. I don't want to stay here overnight, said Harry angrily, sitting up and throwing back his covers. I want to find McClagan and kill him. I'm afraid that would come under the heading of overexertion, said Madame Pomfrey. Uh, moving along a little bit, Harry asked uh, Ron. Do you know how much we lost by? Well, yeah, I do, said Ron apologetically. Final score was 320 to 60. Now, I, I read all this to say... In Harry's first year, Harry said that they would forfeit a Quidditch match if he didn't play, as there was no reserve seeker. But now, he leaves during the match, and they just keep going. Because uh-huh. when he got injured, the score was 70-40. to 40. So for it to end up 320-60, obviously some scoring had to go on. Yeah. The Hufflepuffs had to add uh, 10 more goals for 100 points, plus the 150 for the snitch, to get them up to 320. And the Gryffindors had to score two more goals to get them up to their final score. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I guess... 
I guess Gryffindor didn't score that much in this case because maybe Ginny moved over and played Seeker in place of Harry. Probably. So they were down to just two, what are they called? Seekers. No, he's the Seeker. The Chasers. Thank yeah. you. To me, because I came up with it. <laughs> Thank so you, I'm me. sorry, I don't have all the positions. Good job, me. So that would at least explain the, the, the score differential at that point. Plus McClagan's uh, shitty handling of the keeper position. And, and Jenny probably being their best scorer. Like I say, she's probably going to play Seeker as she does for Harry in the final match this year when he's in detention and as she uh, replaced Harry the year before when he was banned from the Quidditch team thanks to Ombridge. Maybe that's why they keep going instead of stopping is because they know they can kind of just shift I guess, Jenny over to the but position. But could they not just shift some? I mean, could if Harry couldn't play, could they just not shift somebody else over for that one match? Is it okay if you? Mm-hmm. Is it okay if your team is uneven in the middle of a game but you can't start a game with the wrong number of players I or something? Know. I don't know. And it could just be that Harry was the first year. He didn't know as much. He was just assuming they wouldn't be able to play without him. Maybe. He thought he was a little more important than he was. Maybe (laughs) all that, you know, boy who lived stuff going to his head. But it just seems odd that at one point, oh, we're going to have to forfeit if I can't play. Harry can't play. Throw Ginny in there. Let's keep going. (laughs) And I'm just assuming Ginny. Somebody's got to be Seeker. They can't go without a Seeker. So I'm assuming that's what happened. Like in, you know, sports in the real world, sometimes someone will play out of position if, if they run out of players that position because of injuries or whatever so yeah that makes sense to me anyway but it's just odd that there's differences in when you can't play and when you can't play and there are reserves there aren't reserves we can replace this person we can't replace this person we can keep going we can't even start I don't know Mm. Quidditch is always a little species I mean it's explained pretty well and maintained pretty well but you know there are little things about it that you have to question yeah real quick I I was trying to look up the Luna stuff she goes on the Luna stuff she goes on to become a magizoologist, and yeah, she ends up marrying Newt's grandson. Magizoologist just sounds cool. Well, magizoologist. Say the that name, the, the word fast. sounds cool, not the actual profession. Say that three times fast. What is magizoologist? It? Magizoologist. Magizoologist. Well, I can't do it while you're saying it. One at a time. Magizoologist. 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 It's a it's a flows together. Yeah, kind of this what's called. She she just dis- discovered and classified many magical species that hadn't been encountered before. What? And she, she does end up with twin sons. What is it? Yeah, I, I thought there was a mention them. about her kids in, in the at the reunion, so... Yeah. And I know Jenny ends up... She, she plays Quidditch professionally and then becomes a journalist. And Harry, of course, goes on to be an R, then head the R office, then head the magical law enforcement office overall once Hermione's minister. I guess she's still minister. Ministress? Is there a female version of minister? I guess not. Minister of, well, eventually Hermione becomes Minister of Magic after heading the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, even though in book four or five she says she doesn't want to go into government. Well. Okay, well, anyway, let's move along now to page 453. This is chapter 21, The Unknowable Room. And this is when Harry's still trying to figure out a way. He's, he's at this point determined that Malfoy is going into the room of requirement to do whatever he's doing. And so uh, I'll let your imagination wander on that sentence. But he's trying to find a way to get in and see what he's doing, and I'll let your imagination wander on that (laughs) sentence as well. But uh, Harry says, Dobby says to to Harry, when Harry uh, says he's going to try to break into it, No, Harry Potter, that is impossible! No, it's not, said Harry at once. Malfoy got into our headquarters there last year, so I'll be able to go in and spy on him, no problem. Technically, it was Pansy Parkinson who got into the headquarters the year before. This is when there was the Inquisitorial Squad. Yeah. And, uh, 
Oh, what was uh, Cho's friend's name? I don't I think it was that. Marietta Edgecombe. That sounds right. She snitched on them, and so they were able to go find them and catch them, and all of the members of Dumbledore's army are running out. Malfoy's hiding behind like a statue, and he used the trip jinx on Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And once they're in Dumbledore's office, uh, Umbridge is like, we have proof. We have proof of who was in there. Miss Parkinson ran to the room and, and grabbed the initial roster that they had made that said Dumbledore's army at the top. Yeah. So, I mean, I have the book behind me, but I'm not going to search for that specific page, but I'm 99.9% positive it was Pansy Parkinson who went in, not Malfoy. Malfoy may have known about it. He may have been able to go into it if they had gone that far, but they just kind of waited outside for them. Yeah. So, it's just little things like that. And again, I mean, it's just Harry remembering. He could just misremember. You could chalk it up to that. True. He knew Malfoy right. was there. He knew somebody ran and grabbed it. He just said Malfoy. The point is somebody was able to get in. So, it, yeah. it, it, the, the, the statement still rings true. Somebody was able to get in on them, so he thinks he'll be able to get in on Malfoy, even though Hermione corrects that notion. Although I still say Harry would be able to get in if he had done it the right way because Professor Trelawney is able to get in while Malfoy's in there. Interesting. Harry just didn't know what Malfoy was using the room for. If he'd known he was using this massive storage room that's hidden in Hogwarts like you know, Trelawney was trying to do, which we're going we're to touch on that in a little while, so I'll, I'll back off. But I'm, Harry could have gotten in, but not the way he thought. But the point still remains, somebody got in to their secret room. Yeah. So right. he thought he'd be able to get into theirs, but it just wasn't the person that he remembered. Yeah. Couldn't you marry a minister that is a female form of minister? Ministress? <clears throat> but I don't think it's used very often. I, was gonna say, I don't think I've ever heard that term. Yeah, because... Because even when you have, like, prime ministers... Yeah, I was going to say, if, it, if it's similar to the British prime ministers, then they've always just been respond, referred yeah. to as ministers. And, and that, and then, like, in a, in a church, are the only place I've ever really heard the term minister very often. Yeah. I mean, you have, again, in, in government, you might have minister of defense or something, but it's still always just minister. Yeah. All right, well, anyway, let's move along now. Um, still in Chapter 21, The Unknowable Room. Page 462, which marks the end of March, clocking in at 73 pages. So the third longest month in the book, behind July and September, at least so far. April, May, and June notwithstanding. Nice. Uh, I don't know what that really matters, but I just I started <laughs> clocking it in, in the last book, or maybe the one before that, because I know in, uh, not Half-Blood Prince, this is Half-Blood Prince, Order of the Phoenix, Yeah. August and maybe September take up like a quarter of the book by themselves. Like, we skipped July altogether in August and maybe September. Well, no, just August, because that's the book at which they arrive at Hogwarts the latest, like 220-some pages in. So you're looking at, like, a full quarter of that book is just August. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's how much, you know, pre-story there is before you really get into the school year. But anyway, let's move along again. Uh, are we going to stay in Chapter 21? We are. We're going to go up just one page to page 465. Nice. This is when uh, Harry has been attempting to get into the room of requirement to see what Malfoy is doing. He knows he's in there because he doesn't appear on the Marauder's map and because either Crab or Boyle is, it, Goyle is outside the room on the map. And, of course, he's taking Polyjuice Potion to take on the guise of a young girl. Um... But Harry's not that successful, and uh, his hopeful mood did not last long. Half an hour later, having tried many more variations of his request to see what Malfoy was up to, the wall was just as doorless as ever. Harry felt frustrated beyond belief. Malfoy might be just feet away from him, and there was still not the tiniest shred of evidence as to what he was doing in there. Losing his patience completely, Harry ran at the wall and kicked it. Ouch! He thought he might have broken his toe. As he clutched it and hopped on one foot, the invisibility cloak slipped off him. Harry? 
He spun around one leg and toppled over. There, to his utter astonishment, was Tonks, walking toward him as though she frequently strolled up this corridor. What are you doing here, he said, scrambling to his feet again. Why does she always have to find him lying on the floor? Because, of course, she's the one that found him on the train. Yes. But technically, he wasn't lying on the floor when she found him this time. He fell over after she had seen him. She clearly saw him because she called his name. Then he fell over. So she found him hopping around. She saw him fall over. Technically. I'm just saying. Harry's getting a little loose in his interpretations of stuff in this book. (laughs) Be a little more specific, Harry. People trust you more then. Law. Alright, we're going to skip up just one more page. Still in the same chapter, 21, The Unknowable Room. Page 466. Again, Harry's been trying to get in the room of requirement. This is the day that um, Ron and Hermione got to go do extra practice sessions for apparition. Yeah. Again, they had been doing it in the Great Hall, and they were extra for students who could who were going to be old enough to take the test by a certain date. Yeah. They could do extra practice sessions in in, in uh, Hogsmeade, heavily supervised. It says to get ready for it, and Ron and Hermione both being. 17 already. Yeah. Mine is birthday's in September. Ron's was in March. Harry won't turn 17 until July, so he wasn't eligible for these extra classes. So they wouldn't do that while Harry spent the day trying to get into the room of requirement. Yes. And then, uh, you know, once he once he's done talking to Tonks, he gets up on the room and he found Ron and Hermione in the Great Hall already halfway through an early lunch. I mean, it's kind of shitty that Ron and Hermione went to lunch without Harry. <laughs> they came back to school. They didn't go try to find him or anything. They're just like, oh. Should we look for Harry? No, I'm hungry. Let's go get lunch. <laughs> he might be yeah. in there. But what if he's not? Oh, I don't care. I'm hungry. <laughs> Ron just wants food. Maybe he's just trying to have some alone time with Hermione. Man, they don't have McDonald's at Hogsmeade. No, no, they don't. It's an all-wizarding village. This guy a McDonald's I mean, technically Hogsmeade. a wizard could want a McDonald's. You think there's a, a Wickdonald's? A Wizdonald's? <laughs> you can like a McDonald's. They, they, just, they just brought out a Is franchise. that the restaurant that, that Hedwig and... Fox we're going through yep. on our one thumbnail. Yep. Okay, well, anyway, if we don't want to talk about Harry's friend's lack of consideration for him, I guess we'll move on. Ron only had two things on his mind. McDonald's. And one of those things is not Harry. This is a uh, chapter 22, After the Burial, page 470. This is a note that uh, Hagrid had written and sent up to Ron Harry and Hermione. Yes. It says, I'm going to read in Hagrid's voice, even though obviously it's just written. So. Yeah. Dear Harry, Ron, and Hermione, Aragog died last night. Harry and Ron, you met him, and you know how special he was. Hermione, I know you'd have liked him. It would mean a lot to me if you'd nip down for the burial later this evening. Planning on doing it around dusk. That was his favorite time of day. I know you're not supposed to be out that late, but you can use the cloak. Wouldn't ask, but I can't face it alone. Hagrid. Oh. He's asking them to sneak down under the invisibility cloak, but couldn't he just come up and get them from the castle, like he fetched Ron and Harry during year three when they weren't allowed out without a teacher? I'd assume so. Because I'm sitting here like, isn't he a teacher? Can't he, like, kind yeah. of give them and, permission and bring them down? Back on page 406, Hagrid defended Hermione and Harry uh, when they were out after hours because he was with them, and he's, to quote him, a ruddy teacher. Because Filch was like, you're out after hours. And he's like, they're with me, Filch. So yeah. what does that mean? I'm a ruddy teacher, aren't I? Uh, That's also speaking of Hagrid's authority or lack thereof. On page four hundred eighty-three, um, this is when Harry does go down for the burial after taking the Felix Felicis. Yeah. 
and Hag and he tells Haggard that he had uh, run Professor Slughorn on the way, and Haggard's worried that Slughorn might have given him detention. But why would Haggard think Slughorn would have given Harry detention, as if Slughorn has more authority than Haggard? They're both just teachers. Yeah. Slughorn's not even head of Slytherin at this point, so he shouldn't have any more authority than Haggard. It's a fact. I mean, he's he's a fully he may not be a fully qualified wizard, but he's a fully qualified teacher. Yeah. I have questions for so the way. Maybe, maybe just Haggard in his distress isn't thinking about it, but maybe he was, you know, he was able to think clearly and say, "Come on down, I'm going to fetch you because you're not allowed out." But again, he was perhaps in a better state of mind because that was before Buckbeak's trial. Yeah. Or his appeal, anyway. Well, no, the appeal happened at Hogwarts, so it was before his trial. But I digress. That was back in book three. We're talking about book six now. Yeah, it's been a minute. And to that end, we're going to move along to page 494. This is chapter 23. Horcruxes. Horcruxes hunting Horcruxes. Dumbledore's new show, Saturdays at 9. Um, this actually isn't much of a note for uh, what's actually happening in the book. It's just it's just we're seeing the memory of uh, Slughorn and Voldemort discussing Horcruxes. Mm-hmm. And the, there was a much younger Slughorn with his thick, shiny, straw-colored hair and his gingery blonde mustache, sitting again in the comfortable winged armchair in his office, his feet resting upon a velvet poof, a small glass of wine in one hand, the other rummaging in a box of crystallized pineapple. But uh, in reading the descriptions of Slughorn in this, I started to think, if he hadn't already been playing Uncle Vernon, then uh, Richard Griffiths would have been really good as Slughorn. Yeah. Because no disrespect to Jim Broadbent, who I think is a wonderful actor, but I've always thought he was horribly miscast as Slughorn. If uh, you know, he for one thing, he's tall and thin, and Slughorn is short and round. Yeah. And Jim Broadbent is, is just he's sort of sort of sort of whimsical and sort of airy, and, and at least in his performance of, of Slughorn, and Slughorn's not that way. Right? Oh, my boy Harry, come on to a Slughorn. You know, I mean that that's more Slughorn. Yeah. And I think Richard Griffiths would have pulled that off really well. Yeah. He might not have quite that deep of a voice, but I mean, that's just my interpretation of Slughorn's voice. So I, I think he would have been... A, but obviously you're not going to... I mean, I guess technically he could have done Double Duty. It's not like Uncle Vernon was in the movies much at this yeah. point. In fact, I don't think he's in the sixth movie at all. And they make just a small appearance in the seventh movie. But I guess it might have been jarring to people to I see Uncle Vernon playing him. But he I don't been, think they ever have a scene together, so... He would have been really good as Slughorn, I, I think. Yeah. And I'm sure there are other actors who could have played the role uh, more to my liking as well more more true to the slug one in the books but <laughs> Richard Griffiths would have been really good in the role is all I'm saying alright we're going to just jump up one page to page 495 still in chapter 3 Horcruxes Dumbledore landed beside Harry just as Riddle asked again we're still in the memory sir is it true that Professor Mary thought is retiring Tom, Tom, if I knew I couldn't tell you, said Slughorn, wagging his finger reprovingly at Riddle, though winking at the same time. I must say, I'd like to know where you get your information, boy. More knowledgeable than half the staff you are. Riddle smiled. The other boys laughed and cast him admiring looks. And skipping down just a couple of paragraphs. Tom Riddle merely smiled as the others laughed again. Harry noticed that he was by no means the eldest of the group of boys, but that they all seemed to look to him as their leader. However, according to Dumbledore... Riddle originally requested the Defense Against the Dark Arts job and Professor Mary thought retired, which he's just referenced as retiring at the end of this school year, and that Tom was 18 at the time. That's on page 432. So Tom should have been 17 or 18 in this memory. Yeah. Which would likely make him one of the oldest boys here. Yeah. So no, the rest of them are like 20. They just got held back. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you when you, you, you fail your exams. You, get, you just keep getting held back. Yeah. You know, the delinquents. 
But seriously, we don't hear about that much at the wizarding school, so I think that's a bit of a mistake there. If Professor Mary thought, maybe Mary thought stayed on an extra year, so I don't know. I don't know either. I know this is, Tom already has uh, Marvolo's ring, so it's after he had killed his father and his grandfather and grandmother. Yeah. And I think he was 16 when he did that. He might have been 15 when he did that. I can't because Voldemort was born on uh, New Year's Day, so his birthday's in the middle of the school year, and there's no uh, references to what part of the school year this is. But he would certainly be, perhaps he was only 15, and Mary Thought just stayed on for a couple of years. But mm-hmm. if Mary Thought did retire at the end of this year, and Tom Riddle did request the job at the time Professor Mary Thought retired, he'd have to be 17 or 18 by now. Yeah. Which, again, would make him one of the oldest boys in the room more than likely. Unless, again, we have a bunch of students that have been held back. Which would be interesting. I mean, it is mentioned that perhaps Crab or Goyle could be left back after their first year if they didn't pass their exams. But they did, so it's just not something we hear a lot about. Yeah. Yeah. Like how, how much it happens. Like I said, we never specifically hear about it happening. Yeah. Hey. All right, let's move along then uh, to chapter 24, Septemsempra, page 517. Um, I'm not sure what's going on here. This is just general stuff. Well, this is, uh, well, this is, this is right after Katie's come back. Mm. And then uh, Harry uh, is trying to figure out who may have slipped her the necklace, who imperious her, etc., etc., and he gets to the point that, I think I'm going to have another swig of Felix, said Harry, and have a go at the room of requirement again. That would be a complete waste of potions, said Hermione flatly, putting down the copy of Spellman's syllabary that she had just taken out of her bag. Luck can only get you so far, Harry. The situation with Slughorn was different. You always had the ability to persuade him. You just needed to tweak the circumstances a bit. Luck isn't enough to get you through a powerful enchantment, though. Don't go wasting the rest of that potion. You'll need all the luck you can get if Dumbledore takes you along with him. She dropped her voice to a whisper. I'm sorry I didn't drop my voice to a whisper there. Mm. If you're going to give me stage cues, give it before I'm supposed to drop my voice. True. But I digress. So she's referencing Harry taking, because he'd only taken a, a couple swigs of Felix, or maybe one measured gulp of Felix to, to get the memory from Slughorn, so he still had some of his potion left. And uh, when he does get to go along with Dumbledore to try to collect the Horcrux, he realizes that Malfoy's probably succeeded in his plan, and he uh, has Ron, Hermione, and Ginny split the rest of the potion up between them, so they'll be safe while they're helping guard the castle. Yeah. But I do wonder if Harry had taken the Felix the time he went along with Dumbledore, let's say Malfoy didn't complete his plan, you know? Yeah. At that time, so Harry was able to take it, assuming he was ever even intending to. I know he was thinking about using some of it at least to try to tweak the circumstances and get Jenny to notice him again so they could get together. Fortunately, he didn't need to do that. But uh, if he had taken the Felix the night that he and Dumbledore went after the Horcrux... Would the events have played out differently? Would they have had an easier time getting the Horcrux? Would Dumbledore have not died that night? I mean, he was probably going to die before too long because the curse that had afflicted him since he put the ring on, Snape was only able to buy him about a year with that curse. So he was probably going to die before too long anyway, but I mean, it wouldn't necessarily have been that night. They could have maybe accomplished a little more, set things in motion a little differently. But then again, Draco might not have... uh, disarm Dumbledore therefore winning the allegiance of the Elder Wand allowing Harry to win the allegiance of the Elder Wand when he disarms Dumbledore at Malfoy Manor so I guess it's a good thing it played out the way it did in the end 
Yeah. But, I mean, you never know how things could have worked out. But I'm just saying, I wonder if that night would have been completely different if he'd had the Felix Felicis in him. Mm. I still don't completely understand how Felix Felicis works, but... Oh, it seems broken. See, I don't... So drink it before firing Voldemort's on the win. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If Voldemort's had some of that, he might have, he might have actually taken over Hogwarts. But Maybe. Maybe. I know Hermione heads. says that... Uh, says that uh, when she reads in the book, it takes, like, a couple months to make. Yeah. And I know Slughorn says it's 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 really tricky and it's disastrous if you get it wrong. Yeah. And if you take too much of it, it can cause dangerous overconfidence and giddiness. So it's not necessarily something you can abuse, but it does That's seem like... Voldemort already has overconfidence. Maybe yeah. some people could have used it in cer- certain circumstances more often than they did. I mean, they say it's banned in, like, elections and sporting events and whatnot, but just in, in general life, you think maybe people could have put it to a little more use. But then yeah. again, I don't... It's not really clear how it works, so you never know what it could really work on and what it wouldn't work on. Drink something or gambling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be banned in that situation, technically. But I'm just saying, would the casino even know about magic? Oh, like, like a muggle casino? Yeah. Yeah, no. But the wizards might be watching you and be like, shouldn't be doing that, Tom. <laughs> We're gonna wag a finger at you. <laughs> I mean, what's the minister gonna do about it? I don't know. At most, I think there's a bit annoyed at me. It's like, so it's you're like a... sta- it's like glares at me from costumes. And... So you're a wizard now, Gabba. Hello. <laughs> Just shakes the head slowly. Well, anyway, uh, let's move along. Still in chapter twenty-four, Sectum Semper, page five hundred nineteen, marks the end of April, which lasted for approximately fifty-seven days. So another good showing for a month. Certainly better than February. Well. Alright, moving on. Still in chapter 24, Sectum Semper, page 526. This is when Harry has entered the room of requirement in order to hide his potions book and inadvertently stepped into the room that Draco Malfoy has been doing his dirty work in all this time, but of course he doesn't realize it. Yeah. Uh, he gasped. Despite his haste, his panic, his fear of what awaited him back in the bathroom, he could not help but be overawed by what he was looking at. He was standing in a room the size of a large cathedral, whose high windows were sending shafts of light down upon what looked like a city with towering walls, built of what Harry knew must be objects hidden by generations of Hogwarts inhabitants. There were alleyways and roads bordered by teetering piles of broken and damaged furniture, stowed away, perhaps, to hide the evidence of mishandled magic, or else hidden by castle-proud house cells. There were thousands and thousands of books, no doubt banned or graffitied or stolen. There were winged catapults and fanged frisbees, some still with enough life in them to hover half-heartedly over the mountains of other forbidden items. There were chipped bottles of congealed potions, hats, jewels, cloaks. There were what looked like dragon egg shells, corked bottles whose contents still shimmered evilly, several rusting swords, and a heavy, blood-stained axe. Where the blood-stained axe? Hold that thought. I still find it hard to believe that that many people needing to hide that much stuff found what's considered a little-known room. Yeah. I know it's a thousand years of history, but still, if this room is that uh, unknown to so many people, teachers and students alike, I find it hard that this much stuff needed to be hidden over the years, and this is the room where people hid it. Yeah. It sounds like a great place to put a hook box. But, uh, yeah. Maybe. I, again, I mean, I know we've covered this, but Voldemort thinks, I'm the only one who found this room. All the stuff was just here. Nobody put it here. Only I found this room. Only I'm clever enough to do this. Well. All the stuff is here just for my gratification. I mean, really. Still, uh, also, though, 
How many dragons have been hatched at Hogwarts? Apparently at least two. At least a couple. Because Hagrid hatched uh, Norberta. And yeah. now we've got dragon eggshells here in the room of requirement, so... If I had a nickel for every time a dragon was hatched at Hogwarts, I'd have two nickels. Which isn't a lot, but it's weird that I have twice. And it could be more than twice, because it says egg shells, which could be just broken pieces of one shell or multiple eggs broken. Yeah. But at least two, apparently. But again, to your point, too, uh, what or who exactly was that bloodstained axe used on or for? Yeah. Maybe they'll use it on the dragon. <laughs> the dragon got a hand. Oh, God. Not, not, not out of the question, I suppose. <laughs> Wizarding World, nothing's out of the question. It is cutthroat. It's cutthroat kitchen. Sometimes they use an axe for it. Cool. All right, let's move along then, uh, away from the wonders of the room of requirement, into chapter 25, The Seer Overheard, and page 536, marking the uh, end of May, which clocked in at usually 17 pages. Wow. So that means the entire rest of the book, almost 100 pages, I'd say, because we're at 536, is going to be devoted to June, because I don't think... They usually get into July at yeah. the end of books. But anyway, until we get there, we're going to jump one page up to 537. Still in chapter 25, the seer overheard. Um, of course, Harry hid his... Of course, Harry hid his potions book in the Room of Requirement. And uh, he had not dared to return to the room of requirement to retrieve his book, and his performance in potions was suffering accordingly. Though Slughorn, who approved of Jenny, had jocularly attributed this to Harry being lovesick. Did Slughorn not notice that Harry doesn't have a book? <laughs> for days or weeks? Apparently not. I mean, it, you know, he, le- he lent him the book in the first place until Harry could get a book from Flourish and Blots, which of course he just switched with the Half-Blood Prince's book. But now she's like, no book, no problem. I almost went to Dumbledore there. I have trouble with Dumbledore and Slughorn. I want to do their voices too similarly, but I, yeah. I try to do Slughorn like a, like a, a like a, a almost like Foghorn Leghorn or like a or like the. Uh, right, you do Foghorn Leghorn a lot, or, or like the, the Colonel from from. Uh, I I don't remember which cartoon, but you know the 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 uh, Simon and Peabody and Tennessee Tuxedo and Rocky and Bullwinkle there was one of those that had like a, a southern colonel type of character and I always kind of want to go blustery like that and and to be fair a southern accent and a British accent are not all that different when you break them down I have a lot of questions which is I mean not a surprise because a lot of southerners came from Britain originally yeah and, and ancestrally speaking I still have a lot of questions but just as far as you know dropping certain uh, consonants and just the way certain things are pronounced when you really break them down there's a lot of, and again, every British accent isn't the same either. I know there are different regional dialects in Britain and, of course, whole different countries within Britain that, that speak differently. But all I'm saying is, as an impersonator, when you break down the accents, they're not necessarily that dissimilar. Yeah. But still, I don't think Slughorn's going to be like, Oh, Harry, my boy, my boy, welcome here. Come on in. <laughs> I do declare. <laughs> but anyway, regardless, let's move away from my vocal machinations. <clears throat> no other comments on Slughorn not noticing the lack of a book for... Yo, Mr. Potter. It's just a lot of questions. All right, well, moving along, still in Chapter 25, uh, The Seer Overheard. This is when uh, Harry is going to hook up with Dumbledore, so that not like that, so they can go hunt Horcruxes. On today's episode of Hunting Horcruxes, Harry Potter will join me. <laughs> 
uh, and he passes by the room of requirement, and this is when Professor Trelawney has entered the room of requirement, uh, unknowingly when Draco was also in there. You know, she was trying to use the storage room. Yeah. Of it. And she gets uh, pushed out, and, and as it turns out, she was trying to hide her uh, sherry bottles in there because she's been drinking cooking sherry ever since she had her contratemps with Umbridge the year before, and now that uh, Ferenz is taking half the divination classes, she's still not doing all that well. But, um, again, she's trying to hide her sherry bottles in there. Yeah. And then uh, she tells Harry what happened as far as she hears a voice and she gets pushed out and Harry deduces that it's Malfoy and he's the one that pushed her out and he invites her to come along to meet with Dumbledore because he's got a meeting with him and as they go she uh, dumps her sherry bottles into a, a vase or a plinther or whatever. Uh-huh. It, it says it somewhere in here. <laughs> she, she explains her thing. She's going to go along with him. I'm, I'm skipping up a couple pages to get there. Gosh, they really do talk for a long time. I'm like five pages in this conversation. This is almost like the Frieza fight in Dragon Ball. <laughs> Just wanted to read the line about her dropping her sherry bottles. Harry Potter Z. Cool. And, uh. Find that for quarks. Yeah, this this is awesome when Harry finds out the snake was the one who overheard the prophecy and, and took it to Voldemort, causing Voldemort to hunt him and his parents down. But, Interesting. Uh, I cannot find the line about the sherry bottles anywhere. I know she, I know she has them. Yeah. And then, yeah. Said Professor Trelawney with a smile. This is on page 543. She bent down, scooped up her sherry bottles, and dumped them unceremoniously into a large blue and white vase standing in a nearby niche. Fucking Evanesco? The vanishing spell? <laughs> is she not a witch? Can she not just make them vanish? Is she could? Or transfigure them into something else? Is she that poor of a magician that she can't do this stuff? People obviously just don't think about these things. They really don't. I mean, we had fucking repair on our fucking Evanesco. Yeah. Just, I gotta go into this room where, and again, half the people who had stuff in the room of requirement, they couldn't just make it vanish? I mean, maybe you could say the students couldn't because they're not supposed to use magic outside of class, but the house elf certainly could. Yeah. Where they're like, I'll get back to repairing that eventually. I just need to hide it for a little while. And well, they just forgot yeah. about it because they were so busy. Probably. I don't know. But uh, still in this conversation between Trelawney and Potter as they're making their way to Dumbledore's office, and she's telling the tale about Dumbledore coming to overhear, and of course she doesn't realize she made the prophecy at this point, but this is when she did, and they get interrupted by Snape, who overheard part of the prophecy, and but was uh, found by Aberforth and taken away before he could hear the whole thing. Uh, but she says... I well remember my first interview with Dumbledore, went on Professor Trelawney in throaty tones. He was deeply impressed, of course, deeply impressed. I was staying at the Hogshead, which I do not advise, incidentally. Bed bugs, dear boy, but funds were low. Again, couldn't magic deal with bed bugs? Probably. Or are these some sort of magical bed bugs? We haven't heard of such things. <coughs> Say that again. We haven't heard of such things. I mean, we have heard of plenty of different magical creatures, though, and, yeah. and magical ailments, so, I mean, it's certainly possible, but she just, possible. just flat out, I mean, regular bed bugs, I think magic would take care of. The bed bugs are just built oh, different. I mean, to be fair, it doesn't seem like Aberforth keeps the pub all that clean, so maybe he just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> but, you know, a person staying there could probably wipe them out pretty quickly if they were magical. I have questions for Trelawney at this point. Can yeah. she even magic? Well, she can definitely magic some. We see her use, like, 
I guess it's not Wingardium because they don't float, but she like uses her wand to remember to serve the orbs as like almost yeah. like tennis balls during the Battle of Hogwarts. Yeah. So she can definitely do some magic. She may not be a great hand at magic, but she's not a squib like Filch. Poor Filch. Very poor Filch. Alright, well anyway, let's move along then to the end of chapter 25. This is when Harry and Dumbledore are setting out to look for the Horcrux. They've gone into uh, Hogsmeade, and they're fixing to apparate. Uh, Harry doesn't have a license yet, so Dumbledore's going to guide him. It's still a bit of sidelong apparition, but Harry's more capable of doing it as well. Harry turned. At once, there was that horrible sensation that he was being squeezed through a thick rubber tube. He could not draw breath. Every part of him was being compressed, almost past endurance. And then, just when he thought he must suffocate, the invisible band seemed to burst open, and he was standing in cool darkness, breathing in lungfuls of fresh, salty air. So that's a description of what it feels like to apparate. And uh, I'm just wondering, could a witch or wizard suffocate if they tried to apparate too far away? Is that why apparition isn't used for super long distances? Maybe. Is it if you try to go too far, you actually could die doing it? Maybe. Because that description of Harry certainly sounds like he's being pushed to the brink. Yeah. Is that just the way it feels every time, or is the greater the distance, the more it seems to, you know, exhaust you and extend your ability to withstand it to the point that if you tried to operate too far away, you would actually expire? I think that's probably a pretty good explanation, considering we don't really see people operate far away. Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll use brooms or thestrals or yeah. imagine advanced like the night bus. Or sometimes just catch a train. Yeah. Oh, pull keys. Exactly. I wonder what the, the, the uh, magic, magical science of port keys versus apparition is exactly. Same. Because it's not described in the same manner. You know, you don't Same feel thing, that, the that, port keys don't suffocate you. Well, that's what I'm saying is you don't feel like the, the, the suffocation element of apparition. It's like apparition is actually like squeezing through the fabric of space and time and a port key is like a different type of conveyance. I have no idea what that sound was either. Apparition is like going to a small tunnel. Uh, Man, port keys are going to Somebody just apparated in here. It was a wizard or a house elf. <laughs> but port keys are going to a big tunnel. Cool. One they can easily fit through. While apparitions are like squeezing through the tunnel. Mm. Alright, well moving away from... Uh, means of magical transportation. Let's go to chapter 26, the cave, page 550. I love caves. Page 558. This is, uh, again, when Dumbledore and Harry have entered into the cave into which Dumbledore believes that uh, Voldemort has hidden a horcrux and where the young Tom Riddle had terrorized some of his fellow members of the orphanage as yeah. a child. And they've, uh, they've swum into the main opening of the cave and Dumbledore says... This is merely the antechamber, the entrance hall, said Dumbledore after a moment or two. We need to penetrate the inner place. Now it is Lord Voldemort's obstacles that stand in our way, rather than those nature made. So if Voldemort uh, hadn't set any obstacles up to this point, they're only going to be once you penetrate further in, why couldn't Harry and Dumbledore just apparate into the antechamber of the cave, or back out of it? Why do they have to apparate onto a rock and swim through the cold water through the small opening into the cave and then back out when they leave. This is a more interesting for the show, hunting Horcruxes. I mean, again, we don't know exactly how apparition works. We know you have to focus on your destination. If you've never actually seen the inside of the cave, maybe it doesn't work exactly right. Maybe, maybe you have to, Dumbledore, you know, he's found the rocks and knows the cave's over there, but he hasn't made it into the cave yet, so he knows that spot, because you do have to focus on your destination, and if you don't know exactly what your destination looks like, and again, remember Fred and George said it's harder in the dark, 
Yeah. So maybe that plays a, a part into it because the cave's probably going to be dark until they lit their wands. Yeah. Probably. Going to do the light spell. Well, yeah, but not. I don't let you know why you're apparating, and you can't do a light spell here to light up a place far away. I was talking about lighting up their wands. That's Lumos. What are you talking about the light spell? I'm confused. I mean, I guess Dalinar could have, like, sucked some light out of Hogwarts with his Deluminator and brought it with him, but again, you're not... I'm saying they're apparating into a place that's dark. Uh-huh. And so maybe it's harder to pinpoint where you're going to apparate if it's dark. Uh-huh. I mean, to be fair, it was probably dark out at the sea, too, but I guess you'd have the moonlight at least. Yeah. And you're like, couldn't they just do the light spell? They can't do a spell into a place until they've gotten there. Uh-huh. Do, do you understand now? Uh-huh. Because you're just saying, uh-huh, like you do when you don't really understand something. And it's kind of pissing me off, so. Uh-huh. If you don't understand, just say so, and I'll try to explain it more. But don't just keep saying, uh-huh, because nobody wants to hear that. Uh-huh. Do you understand now? Likes yeah. slapping. <laughs> yeah, well, whether you understand or not, I'm going to move on, because nobody has anything else to say about this, apparently. Since mm. I'm the main one talking. Right. Well, Dylan said, uh-huh, a bunch. I agreed with you. Yeah, I said, uh-huh. Still in Chapter 26, The Cave, this time on page 574. This is once Dumbledore has drunk the entire potion so they can reveal the Horcrux in the basin, and now he needs water. Um, and Harry tries Aquamenti, and it momentarily fills up the cup, but then it disappears by the time he gets into Dumbledore's mouth. Yeah. Again, part of the enchantment that Voldemort has set on the place. But couldn't Harry just shoot the water straight into Dumbledore's mouth? I mean, he and Hagrid use Aquamini to shoot water from their wands to put out the fire on Hagrid's hut later in this book. Then yes, I would assume so could he you could just make have. a jet of water? And once it's in his mouth, is it going to disappear from his mouth? Couldn't some of it absorb into him before it disappears? Or would it actually disappear as it's shooting out of the wand? At this point, I don't know. I mean, he doesn't even really try it. He just goes to try to put it in the goblet, so... I think he should have I mean again I know he's panicking and yada yada okay you don't always think clearly in stressful situations but yeah if he were thinking clearly could have he I mean he could have just stuck the wand in Dumbledore's mouth <laughs> and not considering the uh, <laughs> the uh, you know the, the, the optics of that scene <laughs> or, or the other sort of uh, double entendres floating around there he could have squirted in oh that's a bad choice of words <laughs> and he could have you know, Put the water in Dumbledore's mouth, just straight in there, and he could have ingested enough of it to make him feel better, I would think. It would disappear from his stomach. Maybe. That, that, that's some advanced magic, though, if you make it disappear from somebody's stomach. Facts. I'm not, I'm not sure we've seen magic really able to do that at this point. I mean, if you could do that, couldn't you just, like, banish a poison out of somebody's stomach? You'd think so. But anyway, um... As it happens, Harry has to, not as it happens, as Voldemort designed it, Harry has to scoop the goblet into the lake that's surrounding the island on which the basin sat in which the Horcrux rested underneath the potion. Yeah. And as he does, um, the dead bodies that are inhabiting the lake rise up as an army of inferi to try to drag them down into the lake so they can <laughs> join them. And... Um, this is page 575, which is the very next page, obviously still in chapter 26, The Cave. I mean, I guess it wouldn't have to be obvious. I guess you could, we could have changed chapters at this point, but in this case, uh, we didn't. And uh, we read, 
It was the best he could do, for the icy feeling on his arm not holding the cup was not the lingering chill of the water. A slimy white hand had gripped his wrist, and the creature to whom it belonged was pulling him, slowly, backward across the rock. The surface of the lake was no longer mirror smooth. It was churning, and everywhere Harry looked, white heads and hands were emerging from the dark water. Men and women and children with sunken, sightless eyes were moving toward the rock, an army of the dead rising from the black water. Petrificus Totalis, yelled Harry, struggling to cling to the smooth, soaked surface of the island as he pointed his wand at the inferius that had his arm. It released him, falling backward into the water with a splash. He scrambled to his feet, but many more inferior were already climbing onto the rock, their bony hands clawing at its slippery surface, their blank, frosted eyes upon him, trailing waterlogged rags, sunken faces leering. Petrificus Totalis! Harry bellowed again, backing away as he swiped his hand, his wand through the air. Six or seven of them crumpled, but more were coming toward him. Impedimentia! Incarcerus! A few of them stumbled, one or two of them bound in ropes, but those climbing onto the rock behind them merely stepped over or on the falling bodies. I know Dumbledore uh, said that Voldemort had killed enough people to make an army of Inferi when he and Harry were discussing the subject at the beginning of the book. Yeah. But this still seems like a bit much. He seems like a few too many Inferi here. Maybe. I mean, he is he like recruiting graveyards and stuff? Like digging up corpses there and throwing them into the lake? Yes. I find it hard to believe them. I mean, this is described like just an army of, of a zombie-like army almost coming after them. And I just don't think Voldemort killed that many people. Just, just based Who on knows. what I, I mean, from Dumbledore saying he killed enough people to make an army, but when you listen to the real history of it, it doesn't seem like it's... I mean, again, he... I know he saved the Horcruxes for special deaths, but still, we're talking six or seven deaths there. Yeah. So, I mean, did he really kill, you know, an exponential amount above that? It just doesn't seem to be the case. But, I don't know. Apparently he did. Apparently. Apparently. Do, do we know how, about how many that is? So, 70. Mm, 70. No, I, I mean, they they talk about it as a massive inferior, but I don't think they actually numbered it at all. Probably at least 70. At least 70 is just. I mean, I guess you could watch the movie and try to count what's there. But how I could want to take that as canon. But I don't know, but I'm going to jump up just one more page still in the inferior fight here. Uh, page 576, still in chapter 26. The cave. And, of course, the idea is that the Inferi are going to uh, drag the victims back into the water with them. And, and the text actually reads, um, He felt arms enclosing from behind, thin, fleshless arms cold as death, and his feet left the ground as they lifted him and began to carry him slowly and surely back to the water. And he knew there would be no release, that he would be drowned and become one more dead guardian of a fragment of Voldemort's shattered soul. So do you automatically become an inferior if you die in the cave? Or if you drown in the lake specifically? I guess. Is that part of the enchantment? I was going to say, I guess Maybe that's, that's part so many dead bodies, though. Or there, or there, well, how many people have found that cave? Apparently it's not easy to find and get into. I don't know, apparently enough. Um, but I'm just thinking, like, do you have, the, like, an army of inferior, just, like, a couple bodies floating there that didn't become inferior? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, let's move along to the very end of this chapter, page... 578 and I just want to uh, read a little piece here Dumbledore horse he's drank the potion he's had a little bit of water but then the inferior struck Dumbledore was able to rise up and, and call fire to their aid and he and Harry were able to get out of the cave and they, they swum back through the water and they're uh, on the rock well they crossed the outer cave and Harry helped Dumbledore back into the icy sea water that filled the crevice of the cliff it's going to be all right, sir, Harry said over and over again, more worried by Dumbledore's silence than he had been by his weakened voice. We're nearly there. I can operate us both back. Don't worry. 
I'm not worried, Harry, said Dumbledore, his voice a little stronger despite the freezing water. I am with you. And I just think that is such a nice moment, both uh, as a callback to Dumbledore's assurance to Harry that Harry need not worry because, as he said, you're with me early on in the book. And kind of the moment when Harry really ascends to the hero role here as Dumbledore's going out. This is when Harry sort of is taking that mantelpiece up as, you know, he's the one now. I mean, he's always been the hero of the story, but of course, you but know, yeah. Dumbledore's always sort of been the big hero. And now as Dumbledore's time is coming to an end, this is when Harry sort of really steps up to that mantle as the hero of the story. So yeah. I just always really like that moment. Sweet moment. All right, moving on from there, we'll jump up to page 586, chapter 27, The Lightning Struck Tower. This is when Harry and Dumbledore have come back to Hogwarts. Harry's under the invisibility cloak. Um, they get to the top of the tower. They hear footsteps. Dumbledore beckons him back. Uh, Malfoy does Expelliarmus, uh, sending Dumbledore's wand away, but not before Dumbledore could use Patrippus Totalis on Harry to keep him frozen in the spot so nobody knew Harry was there. And so things had play out the way Dumbledore since they should at this point. And at this point, Harry's under the invisibility cloak, unseen. It's just Malfoy and Dumbledore on top of the tower other than him. And Dumbledore says to Malfoy, Perhaps you ought to get on with the job alone, suggested Dumbledore. What if your backup has been thwarted by my god? As you have perhaps realized, there are members of the Order of the Phoenix here tonight, too. And after all, you don't really need help. I have no wand at the moment. I cannot defend myself. But uh, from what I understand, he could defend himself. The author specifically uh, referenced a wandless Dumbledore could beat a crab or a goyle without, uh, with a wand as an example of how magic power works yeah. and how wands are just a conduit. <laughs> so, wandless Dumbledore could probably take out Malfoy with a wand if he really wanted to. Maybe, maybe not in this weakened state, but just the lack of a wand would not necessarily preclude Dumbledore from being able to defeat an opponent, is what I'm saying. Exactly. a person. Yes. I'm trying to think if we've seen that actually. Actually, in the book, no. In Lego, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, in Lego. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, now Harry Wingardium Leviosa's the sidecar that he's riding in, so he's not Wingardium Leviosa in himself. But I guess you could. You can lovey, you can lovey corpus somebody, which is like hoisting them up by their foot. So what I'm hearing is a wizard without a wand is a Jedi. <laughs> Sure. But is a Jedi without a lightsaber or a wizard? Yes. Sure. Kind of. Can't cast all the spells. Limited wizard. Limited wizard. A wizard in training. No, it's limited wizard. Alright, well, moving on down to the bottom of page uh, 586 and the top of page 587, still in the same chapter. Malfoy looked as though he was fighting down the urge to shout or to vomit. He gulped and took several deep breaths glaring at Dumbledore, his wand pointing directly at the latter's heart. Then, as though he could not help himself, he said, I had to mend that broken vanishing cabinet that no one's used for years, the one Montague got lost in last year. Oh, Dumbledore's sigh was half a groan. He closed his eyes for a moment. That was clever. Those a pair, I take it. In Borgen and Burke, said Malfoy, and they make a kind of passage between them. Montague told me that when he was stuck in the Hogwarts one, he was trapped in limbo, but sometimes he could hear what was going on at school, and sometimes what was going on in the shop, as if the cabin was traveling between them, but he couldn't make anyone hear him. In the end, he managed to apparate out, even though he'd never passed his test. He nearly died doing it. Everyone thought it was a really good story, but I was the only one who realized what it meant. Even Borgen didn't know. I was the one who realized there could be a way into Hogwarts through the cabinets if I fixed the broken one. 
As far as I know, that cabin was only broken in Harry's second year when Nick convinced Peeve to smash it over Filch's office in order to distract Filch so Harry could get out of being in trouble with Filch. Yeah. So did no one ever make use of it before that or realize the connection? I okay. guess not. It's just been sitting there in Hogwarts. There's a Spanish cabin here. There's one in Borgen and Burks and nobody ever bothered to use them before. Yep. No. Potentially <laughs> hundreds of years it's been sitting there and nobody ever thought to try it out. And the one in Borgen, was it in Borgen and Burks the whole time or did somebody else have it and Borgen bought it within the last couple of years? Who knows? I was gonna say, I'd assume maybe somebody else had it. I don't know. It just seems odd that nobody ever put it to any sort of use before now. Alright, moving on. Same chapter, page 588. Um, Dumbledore's again, he's, he's conversing with Malfoy, sort of. We're getting a lot of exposition here about how things have played out during the year. Numbers. Very gratifying, said Dumbledore mildly. We all like appreciation for our own hard work, of course. But you must have had an accomplice all the same. Someone in Hogsmeade. Someone who was able to slip Katie the... the... Ah. Dumbledore closed his eyes again and nodded as though he was about to fall asleep. Of course. Rose Meta. How long has she been under the Imperious curse? Got there at last, have you? Malfoy taunted. Why did it take Dumbledore so long to realize it was Rose Meta? I mean, see, he jumped to it pretty quickly here once he started talking about it. He never put his brain into thinking about it before. He's clearly had Snape keeping an eye on Malfoy, and he knew the necklace and the poisoned mead came through Malfoy and probably through her, well, through the, uh, he should have known they came through the, uh, what is it, the three broomsticks? Yes. Couldn't think of the name of a pub for a second. If he did any due diligence, so why take him so long to get on to that point? Mm-hmm. Seems like a, a glaring error there for a mind as great as Dumbledore's. Yeah. I do wonder also when Malfoy and Pierce rose Merida, because uh, the time that Katie brought the necklace back from Hogsmeade, that trip, yeah, which is the first time we know for sure Rose Merida's under the Imperious curse. Uh, McGonagall told Harry, Ron, and Hermione that Malfoy wasn't in Hogsmeade because he was in detention with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the secret passages of the school are being watched, and if the room of requirement could open up a new passageway for Malfoy to get to Hogsmeade like it does for Neville in their seventh year then he would have ever needed to use the Banished Cabinet in the first place. So when did he have the chance to imperish Rosemary? Did he do it like over the summer holidays? Did they take a trip to Hogsmeade or something? I guess. Because otherwise he never had a chance to. At least not before the necklace incident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing there? No. Yeah. Good job, y'all. Yes, we're doing great. That's my only theory is that he did it over the summer because there's no way for him to sneak out. And I mean, I guess technically he could have had one of his Death Ear cronies do the job, but then there, she's not working for him. So exactly. I don't think you can Imperious through somebody else. Not that I'm aware of. Like, not. Put this Imperious curse on her, but make it for me so she listens to me. <laughs> not sure how that works exactly, but... <laughs> me neither. Anyway, we're going to move along now. Still in Chapter 27, The Lightning Struck Tower, pages 590 and 591. There was a bang and shouts from below, louder than ever. It sounded as though people were fighting on the actual spiral staircase that led to where Dumbledore, Malfoy, and Harry stood, and Harry's heart thundered unheard in his invisible chest. Someone was dead. Malfoy had stepped over the body. But who was it? Um, why was Harry's heart unheard? The cloak doesn't block sound. Harry spoke to both Ron and Hermione, plus Crabbe or Goyle disguised as a girl underneath the cloak. Petrificus Totalis makes you uh, unable to speak, 
but since Aerie's heart was still beating, it didn't stop it. It should have still been making noise. Yeah. And I mean, I know at some points it would get loud in the tower, but in the moments where Dumbledore and Malfoy weren't saying anything, if Harry's heart was really hammering that loudly, Malfoy standing pretty close to him because he was he was at the door and just stepped right back. I feel like Harry's heart shouldn't be unheard in that moment. I mean, maybe literally nobody heard it, but it, it was still hearable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was hearable. Don't know. Unless the spell works differently than I understand. Would be the best explanation. All right, well, uh, let's move down a little bit to the uh, bottom of page 591 and the top of page 592. All right. Uh, Dumbledore's trying to convince uh, Malfoy that you know he can help him, he can protect him. He says, uh, But now at last we can speak plainly to each other. No harm has been done. You'll hurt nobody. Though you're very lucky that your unintentional victim survived. I can help you, Draco. No, you can't, said Malfoy, his wand hand shaking very badly indeed. Nobody can. He told me to do it or he'll kill me. I've got no choice. He cannot kill you if you are already dead. Come over to the right side, Draco, and we can hide you more completely than you can possibly imagine. What is more, I can send members of the Order to your mother tonight to hide her likewise. Nobody would be surprised that you had died in your attempt to kill me. Forgive me, but Lord Voldemort probably expects it. This text is different than my copy of the book. Really? It, that, that line about he, he cannot kill you if you're already dead, and uh-huh. nobody would be surprised that you would die in your attempt to kill me, uh-huh. that's not in the copy of the book I have, and I'm going to run down and get it, because that that's so drastic to me. I, I, I Believe me, I've read my copy a dozen yeah. times. I've never read those lines, but let me finish this point, and then I'm going to go down and get it. All right. Nor would the Death Eaters be surprised that we had captured and killed your mother. Again, this is all new. It is what they would do themselves, after all. Your father is safe in the moment, at the moment in Azkaban. When the time comes, we can protect him, too. Come over to the right side, Draco. You are not a killer. But yeah, all this talk of, oh, we're going to make, we're going to fake your death, mm-hmm. that's not in the book. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make here, aside from the difference in the text, if Draco had accepted and the Death Eaters downstairs were subdued and didn't make it up to the top of the tower, yeah, uh, would Dumbledore still have asked Snape to kill him on this night? Again, we know that death is coming for him soon. Snape yeah. only bought him about a year. Yeah. But would this have still been the night if, if Draco had said, fine, hide me, let's do it, and the Order of the Phoenix downstairs had managed to keep the Death Eaters from getting to the top of the tower? Would it still be the end of Dumbledore night, or again, would we have had a little more time with him? I think we would have gotten a little more time with him. Probably. Yeah. Because I don't think Snape would have had to have joined the Death Eaters on this night. Exactly. All right, let's take a pause real quick. I know where my book is. I'm going to run right down and get it. Alright. And I'm going to read you the difference because, yeah, I, I've read this book a bunch and never read those lines. Okay, I've got my copy of the book. This is actually Alex's copy of the book that we've been using for reference during the show. And uh, you remember what the text was in your book that I read just now? Yes. Alright, so in my copy of the book is Come over to the right side, Draco, and we can hide you more completely than you can possibly imagine. What is more, I can send members of the Order to your mother tonight to hide her likewise. Your father is safe at the moment in Azkaban. When the time comes, we can protect him too. Come over to the right side, Draco. You are not a killer. That's it. No talk about, he can't kill you if you're already dead. No, the Death Eaters of Voldemort wouldn't be surprised if you die in your duel with me. Or that your mother was killed, that's what they would do. None of that. That's all new to your... And so I'm assuming your book is newer than mine. Just, just, I still that, have that, questions. That feels like the case, but maybe mine's newer than yours. Let's Does see. It feels like there's this, there's this entire little plan situation here that just doesn't exist in one of the books. My, mine is the first paperback printing, the first Scholastic paperback printing. It's September 2006. Uh-huh. Let's see what yours says. Yours is a hardcover for, you know, uh... 
Oh, yours predates mine, so it was cut out. Why was it cut out? Yours is the first American edition from July 2005. Why was it cut out? I guess... I suppose it's slightly possible some things were edited for space, like they wanted the paperback to not be so big. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would have to go through and read your entire book to see if there's that many differences, because, I mean, obviously... I can't imagine one paragraph making that much difference because then you're talking, what, one extra page maybe? If that, there's also space at the end of the last page. So, I mean, I'm not, again, I would just assume that the author at some point decided they didn't like something about the book and they had enough clout at this point with the success of these books to go back and say, I want to change some of my text, you know? Yeah. That's my guess. And I mean, I know we've seen slight changes because of regional differences, but these are both American editions of the book, so that wouldn't be relevant. But it is fascinating. Published by the same people? Mm, I mean, Scholastic did the paperback. Because, I mean, that could be a difference, too, is the publisher... Yeah, Scholastic did the hardcover as well. I'm trying to find information on it, but all I'm finding are comparisons of the book and the movie. Yes. That's it. I'm almost tempted to go back and just read both books side by side <laughs> much effort that would take I just want to see how many page one how page many differences one. there are that's crazy though she's like that whole I mean it's not a major right. it's not a major well yeah it's not a it's major it's not a major thing. plot change it doesn't change anything exactly as as but story, it's but still it's a, a good hunk of text yeah and, and, and even context I mean obviously they're going to do something to hide them still but having a specific plan of how they're going to do it that, that's wild yeah all right, well, if you don't mind, I guess we'll just move along from that, because I don't have much more to say without, like I say, really pouring through the different copies of the books. Mm-hmm. Oh, stay tuned for another... <laughs> Find another way to... <laughs> I've got to reread all the books and compare the different editions. Yup. Oh, my God, that'd be so much work. The comparison you between like books. You do it, though. Well, hey, if you do the comparison between books... Then at least what you call it, there will eventually be something on Google about it. True. All right, we're jumping all the way up to page 600. And, yeah, you can just move that book. I'm sorry. I don't need it anymore. I'll continue to reference Alex's book because it's, it's larger text and it fits more easily in my setup here. But uh, page 626, this is chapter 29, The Phoenix Lament. This is uh, after Dumbledore has died and... Uh, the members of the Order of the Phoenix and Dumbledore's Army have sort of regrouped in the hospital wing at McGonagall's orders, and then McGonagall asks Harry to come to her office with her as she's going to meet with the heads of houses in Hagrid as they await the uh, Minister of Magic's arrival. Um, and so they go into McGonagall's office, which was Dumbledore's office. She's already assumed the headmaster's office at this point. Yeah. And uh, I'll actually, in your book at least, hell, maybe mine's different. I only only have the note of page 626, but this paragraph actually starts on page 625 in your book. In silence, they ascended the moving spiral staircase and entered the circular office. He did not know what he had expected, that the room would be draped in black, perhaps, or even that Dumbledore's body might be lying there. In fact, it looked almost exactly as it had done when he and Dumbledore had left it mere hours previously. The silver instruments whirring and puffing on their spindle-legged tables, Gryffindor's sword in its glass case gleaming in the moonlight, the sorting hat on a shelf behind the desk. But Fox's perch stood empty. He was still crying his lament to the grounds, and a new portrait had joined the ranks of the dead headmasters and headmistresses of Hogwarts. Dumbledore was slumbering in a golden frame over the desk, his half-moon spectacles perched upon his crooked nose, looking peaceful and untroubled. So who hung Dumbledore's portrait? We know the portrait exists before the headmaster dies, because we've read additional text that says the the headmasters can, you know, teach their portraits, stuff about them. 
So we know the portrait existed before he died, but still, who hung it? Dumbledore didn't hang it. It wasn't there when he and Harry left. Maybe the portrait the hung himself. Did? The portrait hung itself. It's possible, but it seems weird that she would be that concerned about it in this moment. I mean, yeah. And there's no actual evidence that she'd been in the office yet. But yeah. she could have been. We don't know what happened after they left. And like I mean, spell. To be fair, she just found out Dumbledore died. How much time does she even have to, to, to hang it? Yeah, apparently it's just some kind of magic. Yeah, yeah the spell whenever they die. It's an odd bit of magic. To, to, the portrait just automatically hang hangs itself, itself up. Alright, uh, we're going to move up just one more page. This is still the meeting between the... Uh, are you asking me for a timeout, or are you just tapping your fingers? I'm just tapping with my fingers. It's probably annoying. Anyway, one page ahead, 627, still in the meeting in McGonagall's office with the heads of house with uh, Slughorn, now representing Slytherin, and, and Hagrid's there as well. And um, Slughorn, Snape! ejaculated Slughorn, who looked the most shaken, pale and sweating. Snape! I taught him! I thought I knew him! Uh, Flitwick and McGonagall would have taught Snape as well. Not sure about Sprout. Yeah. Though uh, Slughorn would have been his head of house, so maybe he felt closer to Snape, and obviously they both have an affinity for potions. Yeah. Um, but we know McGonagall started around the same time. It, 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 I can't remember now. I think it's like 39 years ago, the previous year, when she had her uh, inspection with Umbridge. Mm-hmm. So that puts her there, you know, when Snape was in school. And we know Flitwick was there because of Snape's memory when he and James and Sirius... And Lupin and Pettigrew and Lily were taking the exams. Flitwick was the teacher in charge of the exams. Yeah. So it's just odd that he points out that he taught Snape specifically when we know at least McGonagall and Flitwick did also. Yeah. And perhaps Sprout too, but I just don't know how long she was there. And Haggard would have been at the school. He wouldn't have been a teacher, but he would have been... I guess he would have been the groundskeeper at that point. There's a little bit of controversy about that because... Molly says there was a groundskeeper before Hagrid when she was there, but yeah. Hagrid had already been expelled before then, so I don't know exactly when he took over as groundskeeper, but anyway. Slughorn Sprout was there. Huh? Think Sprout was there. Maybe, but Maybe, yeah. How how would you know? There's no there's nowhere in the books that says she was Yeah, there. no, I, I remember I was reading this stuff last oh, time. Oh yeah, I was gonna say because there's no uh I could be wrong though. There's no um she, we don't see Sprout getting inspected by Umbridge, which is how we know the tenure of some of these professors. And there's no memories that show Sprout there. And there's, she doesn't reference anything. So she could well have been there. I just don't yeah. know it. All right. And on that note, we're going to wrap up on page 645. This will be uh, chapter 30, The White Tomb. Now, I love these stories. And there's so many wonderful moments, big and small, so much heart and humor. Uh, great characters and relationships, lots of beautiful writing. Uh, but this paragraph, out of all of it, is the most meaningful to me, the one that resonates the most with me personally. And uh, I'd like to read it here and give it the spotlight it deserves. Right. This is, of course, uh, during Dumbledore's funeral. And Harry saw very clearly as he sat there under the hot sun how people who cared about him had stood in front of him one by one, his mother, his father, his godfather, and finally Dumbledore, all determined to protect him. But now that was over. He could not let anybody else stand between him and Voldemort. He must abandon forever the illusion he ought to have lost at the age of one, that the shelter of a parent's arms meant that nothing could hurt him. There was no waking from his nightmare, no comforting whisper in the dark that he was safe, really, that it was all in his imagination. The last and greatest of his protectors had died, and he was more alone than he had ever been before. On that note, I guess I will say come back next week when the conversation will continue. But until then, I am going to continue to be Maddie. Lexi. Dylan. Casey. 
And this is Lexi Concluded. Bye. Bye.